Welcome to the Church in the Graveyard podcast. On one hand, the book of Jonah is a roller coaster ride with giant fish and famous cities. On the other hand, beneath the surface, Jonah reminds us of the surprising grace of God in the face of judgment. Jonah draws our eyes to Jesus. For more information and audio content, please visit us at neac.com.au. Hi, my name's Amy, if I haven't met you before. I'm going to be doing an Old Testament reading, continuing on from Jonah, chapter 3, and it's on page 917. Then the word of the Lord came to Jonah a second time. Go to the great city of Nineveh and proclaim to it the message I give to you. Jonah obeyed the word of the Lord and went to Nineveh. Now, Nineveh was a very large city. It took three days to go through it. Jonah began by going a day's journey into the city, proclaiming, Forty more days and Nineveh will be overthrown. The Ninevites believed God. A fast was proclaimed and all of them, from the greatest to the least, put on sackcloth. When Jonah's warning reached the king of Nineveh, He rose from his throne, took off his royal robes, covered himself with sackcloth, and sat down in the dust. This is the proclamation he issued in Nineveh. By the decree of the king and his nobles, do not let people or animals, herds or flocks, taste anything. Do not let them eat or drink. But let people and animals be covered with sackcloth. Let everyone call urgently on God. Let them give up their evil ways and their violence. Who knows, God may yet relent and with compassion turn from his fierce anger so that we will not perish. When God saw what they did and how they turned from their evil ways, he relented and did not bring on them the destruction he had threatened. G'day, I'm Ben. I'll bring us our second reading, which is Isaiah 55 which you can find on page 733 of the Church Bibles. Isaiah 55. Come, all you who are thirsty, come to the waters. And you who have no money, come, buy and eat. Come, buy wine and milk without money and without cost. Why spend money on what is not bread, and your labour on what does not satisfy? Listen, listen to me and eat what is good, and your soul will delight in the richest of fare. Give ear and come to me. Hear me that your soul may live. I will make an everlasting covenant with you, my faithful love promised to David. See, I have made him a witness to the peoples, a leader and commander of the peoples. Surely you will summon nations you know not, and nations that do not know you will hasten to you because of the Lord your God, the Holy One of Israel, for he has endowed you with splendor. Seek the Lord while he may be found. Call on him while he is near. Let the wicked forsake his way, and the evil man his thoughts. Let him turn to the Lord, and he will have mercy on him, and to our God, for he will freely pardon. For my thoughts are not yours, neither are your ways my ways, declares the Lord. As the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways, and my thoughts than your thoughts. As the rain and the snow come down from heaven, and do not return to it without watering the earth, and making it bud and flourish, so that it yields seed for the sower and bread for the eater, So is my word that goes out from my mouth. 
It will not return to me empty, but will accomplish what I desire and achieve the purpose for which I sent it. You will go out in joy and be led forth in peace. The mountains and hills will burst into song before you, and all the trees of the fields will clap their hands. Instead of the thorn bush will grow the pine tree, and instead of the briars the myrtle will grow. This will be for the Lord's renown, for an everlasting sign, which will not be destroyed. Hey folks, I'm Roger. I'm preaching tonight from Jonah 3. It would be great. It would be great if you could turn to Jonah 3 in your Bible. It's uh, page 917. Page 917. <coughs> Hope you've been enjoying some of the Jonah artworks that have been flipping up. There's an abundance of artwork based on Jonah from the very early uh, beginnings of the Christian faith right through to recently. Uh, Christians have seen links between Jonah and Jesus. So I'm going to go there tonight, not straight away, but I wanted to start by asking you to look at Jonah 3 again and just wonder what questions you have about this little chapter of the Bible. Look at Jonah 3. Uh, it's on your Bible, page 917. Just scan your eyes over it again and ask yourself, what questions do I have about this part of the Bible? Uh, if you're a writer, you might like to write them down. We're in Newtown, so you're probably writing in a Moleskine. Um, you know, get into it. Write your questions down. If they don't get addressed in the sermon tonight, uh, have a chat with each other, with me afterwards. I've got questions about this passage. I've got all sorts of questions. I'm, uh, I'm a bit random when it comes to the things that I think when I'm reading the Bible. What was Jonah thinking when he preached to Nineveh? What was he thinking? Was it... Was it a, I mean, he's got the, pretty much the world's shortest sermon, eight words in English, five in Hebrew, 40 more days and Nineveh will be overturned. Was he, was he saying it like this? I'm looking forward to you getting it in the neck. 40 more days and Nineveh will be overturned. <laughs> or is, he, is it a genuine, I mean, some of the pictures that we've seen, the, the sculptures is this kind of, repent, guys. Trust, God's, you know, trust God, turn on him. And what was Jonah thinking? What is it with animals repenting? What is it with animals repenting? What's that got to do with anything? Especially given that the book ends with this great, you know, shouldn't I have mercy on that great city which has more than 120,000 people and much cattle? What is it with God and cows? What will I do when my wickedness comes before the Lord? You can't Read Jonah 3 in isolation. You've got to read the whole book. And chapter 3 and chapter 1 are an obvious uh, contrast to each other. If Nineveh's wickedness comes before the Lord, and this is the answer, well, what's going to happen to me when, when I come before the Lord? And I think the obvious question, it's, it's there in verse 9, when the passage itself has a question, you've got to ask it to yourself. There in verse 9 of chapter 3, who knows? The king asks. Who knows what's... Maybe God will have mercy. God may yet relent and with compassion turn from his fierce anger so that we won't perish. I'm going to pray for us as we look at God's word together. Hopefully some of these questions, uh, yours and mine, will be addressed as we look at Jonah 3. Sovereign Lord, we ask that as we hear your word tonight that it might not return to you without achieving the purpose that you have for it. We thank you that you've spoken to us. We thank you for Jonah. And we ask that as uh, we hear your word, that you would be at work in us. Uh, for the sake of your son, we ask. Amen. All right. 
Um, my plan tonight is not really to work through the chapter, you know, verse by verse. Uh, the way I'm going to do it is to look at uh, the characters in the story first, the characters. So we're going to look at uh, Jonah, we're going to look at God, we're going to look at the Ninevites and the king especially. Uh, so looking at the characters in the passage and then look at some of the ways that this chapter has links both to the rest of the book and to the rest of the Bible. So firstly, the characters. Let's have a look at the people in this story. It'll be great if you have Jonah open there, uh, because Jonah is the star. Uh, Unlike most of the other prophetic books, Jonah doesn't speak to to God's people. You know, pick another prophet in the Old Testament, and he goes to God's people. Ezekiel goes to God's people. Moses speaks to Israel, God's people. But Jonah goes to the enemy. Jonah goes to the heart of the badlands. Nineveh was renowned as the kind of filthiest, nastiest, most depraved place you can think of. Like Newtown 20 years ago. Like, I mean, we've had all the jokes, but it's, it's serious. It's the place, it's like Guantanamo Bay. It's Bogota, Colombia. It's the heart of the drug trade. It's Vegas. It's the most debauched place. The king of Nineveh, 100 years before Jonah, He boasted, there's this great passage of him just talking about what happens when he conquers a country. He just slays the women and children. He cuts off pieces of people's bodies and posts them up as public notice. He he takes the skin off people's body and posts them on the wall. They were renowned, the Ninevites, for fierce, brutal judgment of their enemies. No holds barred. They knew what it was to triumph over another nation to take them captive and rub their noses in it. Jonah went not to God's people, but to this place, to Nineveh. What does it, what does it say about Jonah? Are we meant to, it's pretty easy, I think, to look at Jonah at, at arm's length. Did you do that when you were reading Jonah? You, you kind of, oh, Jonah, he's a bit of a joke. I mean, the whole thing's a bit of a pantomime. It's, everything is great. There's a great fish and a great storm and a great city. And it's all kind of one after the other. And we can look at Jonah and go, oh, he's a, he's a bit of a fool. Shouldn't have run away from God. Even in the belly of the fish in chapter 2, as he prays his great prayer, is his heart really in it? He says, salvation comes from the Lord. It's very, you know, it's very pious. He has just been saved by the big fish. He's acknowledging the facts. But chapter 3 and chapter 4 force us to ask, is is Jonah really wholehearted in his repentance? It's easy to look at Jonah and treat him as a bit of a joke. I mean, chapter 4 really invites you to do that, I think. I can't wait for next week. Come to church next week. It's going to be a cracker. This petulant, childish, I'm angry enough to die because the vine has gone away. Like it's, it's meant to be comedic. You're meant to kind of laugh at Jonah, but there's that moment where you go, actually, I'm a bit like that. I'm a bit racist like Jonah. There are people that I really don't want to be welcomed into God's family. Even though I've been welcomed in, I, I can think of a list of people that I really don't want God to have mercy on. Have you got people like that? Are you a bit of a Jonah? Happy for God to have mercy on you, but there's a list or a category of people that it's a bit uncomfortable for you to f- have as part of your family. 
people who've wronged you, people who've, it, brutally even. It's easy to, you know, name Pol Pot and Hitler and say, well, we wouldn't want God to have mercy on them. But what about the people who've hurt you, relationships you're in at the moment where you've been wronged, you'd be quite just in holding someone at arm's length and saying, I, I just don't want them to be forgiven. Not by me, not by God. It's too much. It's easy to sit with Jonah at arm's length, but we're a little bit like Jonah. The Ninevites, however, are actually a model, especially the king, they're actually a model of repentance. As I said before, Jonah's repentance in the fish is definite. He, you know, obviously, chapter 1, the word comes to him and he runs away. He gets up and goes that way, away from where God calls him. In chapter 3, the word of the Lord comes to him again and he does what he's told. There's definite obedience there. But where's Jonah's heart? Well, I think the Ninevites are meant to show him up. They're actually responding to God the right way. If you want to be the goody two-shoes in in putting yourself in the story, you're a Ninevite. If you want to do the right thing, let's have a look at what happens to the Ninevites. Chapter 3, verse 3, Jonah obeys the word of the Lord, goes to Nineveh. Nineveh is a very important city. He goes in. Verse 5, the Ninevites believed God. They declare a fast, not the 5-2 diet. No, a proper fast where all of them, from the greatest to the least, put on sackcloth. It's this absolute humiliation where you put on a hessian sack and sit in the dirt. You're just one with the earth. You're nothing. You're low. You're recognizing that you face judgment and there's nothing that you can contribute. There's nothing that you can do except declare your bankruptcy before the judge. This is model repentance. And if you are a Christian, if you're a person whose faith is in Jesus, you have already done this. This is your permanent stance. This is my permanent stance before God. That we come before him empty-handed. With nothing but our sin. Saying to God, I've done great wrongs. I haven't loved you like I should. I haven't loved the people you've put around me like I should. The things I've thought are broken and messed up. Even when I try to do the right thing, I can't do it with perfect motives. Coming before God and sitting in the dust is the stance of the Christian. It's humility. It's a model of repentance saying, please have mercy. I don't deserve anything but judgment. And remember, the Ninevites knew exactly what judgment was. Notice that the king, uh, in these days, the king is representative of people. Uh, We're about to have a king one day, King Charles. Like, I've got big ears, but dude, that guy is cranking. Uh, The king is meant to be representative of the people. Uh, I think as members of the Commonwealth, we have a certain right hesitation about us being represented by King Charles one day. I mean, I'm a big fan of the Queen, don't get me wrong. Each Christmas, her message in the last couple of years, I think, has been more and more gospel-shaped. It's beautiful to be part of that commonwealth. But we don't really reflect her in character or hat-wearing or whatever it is. But the King of Nineveh, he's a model. He's a model of repentance. Have a look at him. Verse 6, when the news reached the King of Nineveh, he rose from his throne. Yeah, he rises like Jonah. 
took off his royal robes, covered himself with sackcloth, sat down in the dust. Then he issues this proclamation. By the decree of the king and his nobles, do not let any man or beast, herd or flock, taste anything. Do not let them eat or drink. But let man and beast be covered with sackcloth. Let everyone urgently call on God. It's not, by the way, just a mental attitude. Look at verse 8. Let them give up their evil ways and their violence. Proper repentance involves stopping what you were doing that was wrong and living another way. This is, what, this is part of what it is to follow Jesus, to turn from living one way and turn to God and live as he calls in attitude and in action. The king is a model of repentance for us. Perhaps it's time for you to consider whether you've actually repented, whether there are things, whether you're in attitude and in action, you've actually turned back to God. The king is a model of repentance. He, he puts Jonah to shame. Talk about the animals for a minute. Why, what's, what's the deal with making the animals repent? Uh, I think the deal is that it just shows the completeness the completeness of this turnaround for Nineveh. Um, there's, a, there's a certain noisy, physical show of turning around when even the animals are covered in hessian sacks and even the animals are crying out, bleating for food and water, desperate, hungering and thirsting for forgiveness, hungering and thirsting for what's good for them. I think it's a reminder that uh, the way that people respond to God has implications for all of the creation. And God cares about all of the creation, the people and the rest of the things that he has made. So the animals repent. It's not really their doing. It's just in response to the people of the city in which they live. We've looked at Jonah. We've looked at the king. Let's look at God. Uh, how did you see God at work in this passage? Well, God doesn't appear as a character in here. If he was a pantomime, you wouldn't see him acting. But have a look at the way that the chapter starts, chapter 3, verse 1. God appears and works in this chapter through his word. It's one of the reasons we read Isaiah 55. It speaks of the word of the Lord being the way that he achieves his work in the world. Uh, in chapter 3, verse 1, Then the word of the Lord came to Jonah the second time. Go to the great city of Nineveh and proclaim to it the message I give you. When God appears in human history... When he speaks, he speaks through people that he chooses and he determines the message. In Jonah's case, not a complex message, a very stark message. Notice that Jonah, verse 3, obeys the word of the Lord. He goes to Nineveh and on the first day, you know, a third of the way through doing his job, he proclaims this message, 40 more days and Nineveh will be overturned. Judgment day is coming. Look at the response in verse 5. Look at what it doesn't say. It doesn't say the Ninevites believe Jonah. They heard Jonah speaking, and it's recorded very clearly here. I think this is a beautiful picture of the way that God works in the world. Jonah 
possibly bleached by the weird things that have been all over him as he sat inside the fish for three days and three nights. Jonah, whatever he looks like as part of our, is he skinny or fat? Is he bearded and is he half Is he bleached? I don't know. Jonah preaches this message, but verse 5, the Ninevites believed God. See, when God's messengers speak, it's God's word that does the doing. When God's messengers speak, it is God himself who is at work. Is this both terrifying and a great consolation to you? When I'm speaking tonight, I'm just a guy standing in front of a church asking them to love him. I'm just a guy. This is... It's not my thoughts here. This is the word of God that we're reading. You are encountering the living God tonight through his word. doesn't matter whether it's me or someone else. It's not bound up in what I say. And so it is with you during the week. When you speak to the people in your family, in your house, in your workplace, the people you're hanging out with, there's, there's a great sense of profound stewardship as you carry a message from the living God as you present to people with your words what this God is like but at the same time there's a great freedom because you can be the most winsome person in the world with a thousand knockdown arguments but you can't change someone's heart the only person who can change another person's heart is God this should be a great relief to us as we seek to see a lost world saved for Jesus, that it's God who works through his word. And as we read in Isaiah 55, God's word always achieves the purpose that he sets out for it. God is at work in Nineveh. You imagine the scene, right? Imagine the newspaper reports. Whole city repents. Did it happen because of Jonah? I mean, it looked like it happened because of Jonah. Can you, you just got to get your head into this. Can you imagine Jonah standing in the middle of Nineveh and seeing the whole city repent? Can you imagine his kind of, I didn't even really want this to happen, and now you've all repented? The king, a royal decree, everyone and everything repent. Jonah knows that it's not from him. The word of God is powerful to change lives because God works through his word. This is the way it has been from the beginning when God spoke creation into being. It's the way that God has revealed himself through words. The burning bush, God speaks to Moses. And most clearly, Jesus has spoken to us through his word, Jesus. God has spoken to you. Is it time to just realize that when you open your Bible day by day, when you look at God's word, God is speaking to you. You can encounter the real, true and living God through his word. What a, what a beautiful opportunity. It's why Christians throughout Christian history have been so obsessed with translating the Bible into people's tongues and giving it to people for free. You can meet God through the pages of the Bible because he works through his word. 
And Andrew's been guiding us tonight through Psalm 95. When you hear his word, consider carefully your response. So we've looked at Jonah, we've looked at the Ninevites, we've looked at the king, we've looked at God working through his word. They're the characters in Jonah 3. What about the links? How does this chapter of Jonah fit in with the rest of the book and how does it fit in with the Bible as a whole? Well, firstly, have a look at the opening opening of chapter 1 and the opening of chapter 3. This is an obvious invitation for you to contrast the two. What is it meant to teach us? Have a look at 1.1. The word of the Lord came to Jonah. Verse 2. Go to the great city of Nineveh and preach against it. Verse 3. But Jonah ran away from the Lord. Chapter 3 starts with exactly the same form. Inviting the contrast. Then the word of the Lord came to Jonah a second time. Go to the great city of Nineveh and proclaim to it the message I give you. Jonah obeyed. Hooray. He went to Nineveh. This obvious contrast tells us something about Jonah, that he's a slow learner, that even though he knows that he can't escape from God, he gives it a whack anyway. But more importantly, it tells us something about God, that God is a God of second chances. Do you believe that? God is a God of second chances. Jonah did his best to ignore God, his very best, to get away from what he knew God wanted for him to do. He turned his back on God, he ran the other way, and God brought him to a place where he had the perfect opportunity to do exactly what he knew was the right thing, to do what God asked him to do. God is a God of second chances. Notice, by the way, that God doesn't lower the bar for the second attempt. I've got three little kids at home, and we're playing soccer this afternoon, trying to teach my three-year-old girl, Georgie, to kick, and she's pretty unco. Um, the temptation is when you're teaching someone, if they can't do it the first time, say, oh, just try, just try touching the ball with your foot. Hooray, well done! And you think in your head, that was pathetic. God does not lower the standard of obedience to which he calls his people, even when they have a second chance. God does not lower the standard of obedience that he calls his people to. For you, if you're a Christian already, if you've failed, if you've walked away from God and the gospel, if you've turned your back on him, yes, he's calling you back. God is the God of second chances, but the standard to which we're called to to be as part of his holy people is just as high as ever. Jonah is still called to preach to Nineveh. It's terrifying. He can't be effective in it on his own strength. But when God gives Jonah the second chance, the standard is just as it was before. Now, what other links are there between Jonah 3 and the rest of the book? Well, there's, there's chapter 2. It's, it's, if By the way, if you didn't hear Andrew's sermon from last week, you should. It's a cracker. It's online, sermon.net slash St. Stevens. Uh, but chapter 2 ends with this little closing prayer. If you have a look from verse 7, Jonah's reflecting in the fish on his salvation that's come from God. When my life was ebbing away, I remembered you, O Lord. My prayer rose to you in your holy temple. Those who cling to worthless idols forfeit the grace that could be theirs, but I, with a song of thanksgiving, will sacrifice to you what I vowed I will make good. Salvation comes from the Lord. Jonah sounds like he's ready to do the good that God has prepared for him to do, but actually, in chapter 3, those verses are lived out in the people of Nineveh. They're not really lived out 
in China, the people of Nineveh see their life ebbing away. They see the writing on the wall. Their prayers rise to God. They don't really know him, only that judgment is coming. The people of Nineveh show up Jonah as they see that salvation comes from the Lord. And it's obvious that chapter 3 and chapter 4 have a a pretty solid link there. Uh, Chapter 3 is the preaching and chapter 4 is the result. What happens next? Jonah goes outside the city. I'm not going to give, you know, next week's sermon right now, but chapter 4 is going to cause us to ask the really big questions. Does Jonah have a right to be angry when God has mercy? But there's more to uh, just how Jonah fits within itself. Jonah's mentioned in the New Testament. Jonah has parallels all all the way through from the beginning. The, The judgment that's mentioned in Jonah's sermon 40 days and Nineveh will be overturned. It's just like Noah, isn't it? 40 days of rain, raining down judgment, wiping out sin on the earth. The 40 days is meant to ring in your ears. The people of Israel knew that 40, well, that's the 40 years in the desert. Judgment is coming. This is a, this is a book that forces us to remember that God has set a day when he will judge the earth. When Nineveh's wickedness came up before him, does it mean that you know, God has a country set aside for each day of the year and each day its wickedness comes up before him? No. God has set a day when he will judge the earth by the man that he sent. We know this is true because we've seen a snapshot of his judgment in Jesus. Why would God send his son to die? If there was another way for sin to be forgiven. The cross shows at at once the mercy of God, but the great justice of God. That sin will be punished. That those who deserve punishment will be judged. Great consolation for us when those we know who deserve punishment will get their just deserts. But causes us to tremble with fear because we know that we too stand under the judgment of God. Jesus speaks of Jonah in Matthew 12 and says that the men of Nineveh will stand up at the judgment day and condemn those who hear Jesus' words but don't repent. Matthew 12, 41. The men of Nineveh will stand up at the judgment day and say, you wanted a sign? Jesus is the sign. Jonah is the sign that judgment is real and that calling on God is the answer. I want to finish tonight just by going back to the question that the king of Nineveh asks. Have a look at chapter 3, verse 9. We've looked at the characters. We've looked at the links across, uh, across Jonah and into the rest of the Bible. But have a look at the question that, that all of this leads up to. As the king repents and leads his nation in repentance. Verse 9, who knows... God may yet relent and with compassion turn from his fierce anger so that we won't perish. Who does know whether God will have mercy? Who knows whether God will relent from judgment? 
Jonah knows and we know. We know that the nature of God is to be compassionate. The nature of God is always to have mercy. This is your God who is at once just but merciful. We know because we've seen his son. We know the deep compassion of Jesus who's seeing the people of Israel lost like sheep without a shepherd. He has mercy on them and dies for them like a good shepherd does, puts his body on the line for those that are his. This is your God, a God of deep compassion. God cares for you. God has given his son for you. Who knows whether God will relent from his justice? Jonah knows. And we know that God is a God of deep compassion. We've seen it in the death of his son for us on the cross. Though we know in our hearts we deserve the judgment of God, we also see his great compassion and rest in that. Will you pray with me? Our Father, we thank you for the example of Jonah. Uh, We thank you uh, for the reminder of your justice and your mercy. Uh, We thank you that we've seen the depth uh, of your compassion for us as you sacrifice your son for us. Father, we pray that uh, you would use our feeble efforts of obedience. Uh, We we thank you that you work through your word, uh, that you are powerful to change hearts. Uh, We ask that you would help us to be bold in living the lives you call us to live, uh, confident not in our own strength, but in yours. Uh, We thank you that you are the sovereign Lord who called creation into being, who sustains all things by your word, and who will bring uh, all things to completion uh, through that word that you've chosen, your son, the Lord Jesus. Uh, Father, please have mercy on us and give us hearts that are so filled uh, with compassion for those around us uh, who face the same judgment as us, uh, who are offered the same salvation in Jesus. Uh, Shape our lives, we pray, uh, in a knowledge of your just judgment and your mercy. Uh, We pray this, uh, that we might honour you with our lives for Jesus' sake. Amen.